Hello everyone, you are listening to the Maitri podcast between friends conversations with Maitri. I am your host Nandini Ray welcoming you all on this great platform where we discuss important community issues that are related to Maitri's work and affecting our community. Today's episode is about stigma associated with divorce. Recently two tragic incidents Hasania Khan's murder by her estranged husband um, in Chicago and Mandeep Kaur's suicide in New York uh, after suffering years of abuse by her husband are surfacing everywhere on all media and social media platforms to shared frustration and pain Sania wrote on one post um, going through a divorce as a south asian woman feels like you failed at life sometimes the way the community labels you the lack of support you receive and the pressure to stay with someone because what will people say makes it harder for women to leave marriage that they shouldn't have been into begin with um but we must admit that these two incidents you neha and kavita you know that two uh, these two incidents are not isolated incidents in our work we have seen that many women stay in abusive relationship due to the stigma attached to divorce and the stigma compels many parents and family members to force their daughters to adjust in an unhealthy or toxic relationship So what is the root cause of this stigma and what can be done to remove this stigma To discuss these questions we have invited Neha Gill from Apnagar in Chicago and Kavita Mera from Sakhi for South Asian Women in New York So Kavita and Neha it's my pleasure to have you here uh, let me introduce you with our audience first Kavita Mehra is the executive director of Sakhi for South Asian women under Kavita's leadership Sakhi has grown enormously and has launched a trauma informed a mental health program a housing program and a food justice program for clients her commitment to building a survivor centered movement has positioned Sakhi to expand its presence in the New York area Neha Gill is the executive director of Apnagar. She is a passionate advocate for gender justice and has spent her career at Apnagar working to address the root causes of gender violence. Under her leadership, um, Apnagar has grown in scope and size. providing holistic evidence based services conducting uh, outreach and advocacy from multiple locations across the metro uh, chicago region listeners please visit apnagar.org and sakhi.org to learn about um, their services in detail so thank you neha and kavita for coming to our show thank you for having us thank you for having us So we all know how stigmatized divorce is in our community especially for south asian women uh many survivors uh we serve we see that they suffer um abusive marriages because of this stigma uh so let's start with a question why do we see so much stigma uh, attached to divorce uh so kavita you can start thank you for having us on your show 
Nandini, and uh, that's such a great question. I think it's an incredibly complex one because there are um, multiple reasons why stigma is act, often projected onto an individual when experiencing divorce or going through a divorce. Uh, the first that comes to mind immediately is that there's such a focus on marriage in our community. Um, mm -hmm. Across the South Asian diaspora, many of us can really resonate with the fact that marriage is a significant celebration. Often, um, you know, there is an entire industry around it that um, is invested in marriage. It really is a focal point of a family's experience of coming together. Um, and so, you know, because there is such pressure around marriage um, and the pressure of, you know, this idea of bringing two families together, um, oftentimes when a marriage doesn't work out, it's seen as a failure. And we know that in our community, oftentimes failure doesn't, isn't accepted. Um, and that there's shame or there's seen, you know, that um, if it's assumed that it is a failure. So that failure often will be the reason why, you know, or that projection of failure will often be the reason why, um, you know, there's there's stigma attached to, to one leaving a marriage. Um, and then the other element of it is that wealth is often given or inherited through, you know, the men in a family. And so when um, one is leaving a marriage and, and specifically we see this more maybe in South Asia, you know, that, that wealth is inherited through men, um, you know, it leaves a lot of women without the option to be able to um, have economic stability. We see elements of this in our work at Tucky as well, especially if there is an income, one family income. And so that often will be a debilitating reason too. And that adds to that social stigma. Mm, yeah. So Neha, what, uh, what is your thought on this? Um, I agree with uh, everything Kavita has been saying. And the only other thing I'd add is that South Asian cultures are collectivist cultures. So there's a priority on how uh, maybe groups and entire communities, and certainly in these cases, families feel and perceive things over an individual. I mean, a lot of times, like, you know, uh, the way that sort of patriarchy and male privilege work in our communities is that men's feelings uh, are prioritized. Mm. Um, and then for women, they are asked to compromise. They are asked to, they're really essentially left with the burden of keeping families and entire communities together. Um, and, and also I'd say that, um, I mean, there's sort of, sort of like that gender dynamic, there's the kind of cultural pieces that, you know, we're talking about, and this idea of respectability, like women mm. gain respectability by mm. being attached to men. So you're somebody's daughter and somebody's wife, right? Like that's how, uh, in South Asian communities, you sort of gain status in your community as well. Um, so all of these sort of come together in ways that are really, really harmful when there is domestic violence. And a lot of that domestic violence comes from the, from patriarchy and that male privilege, right? So uh, men are taught to, to think of women a certain way mm. um, and to think of them as less than. And so this idea that you could discipline your wife and your children and like all of these types of things are kind of passed down in our community. And those are, um, you know, sort of harmful practices that we have to examine. And those are all of the things that in both of the cases that we're talking about today, um, those are the reasons that we ended up with such tragedies, right? So that's like kind of the most 
egregious form of what we see on a day-to-day basis, but what we see um, all kind of uh, comes from from these issues around patriarchy and the ways in which um, our culture for all of the the good things also kind of, you know, perpetuates harmful practices and notions and gender norms. Yeah, so this is actually, you know, oppressive cultural training that, you know, women are uh, told, uh, you know, directly or indirectly that it's your job, it's your responsibility to keep family intact. And if divorce is happening, if the family is breaking, then, it's your fault. So out of that, uh, out of that cultural um, expectation, many women they don't know with, if they can uh, even seek help, if they can talk about, uh, think about divorce, and at the same time, uh, like male privilege that if in families divorce is happening, then most of the time, uh, you know, victims, they don't, uh, other women, they, they, if they want to have the divorce, they, who wants to have divorce, they don't get support. Um, I would say that community is changing, people are changing, uh, but still a long way to go. Um, like, you know, in the recent tragic incidents of Sanya Khan and Mandeep Kaur, both incidents, we are seeing that many community members are vocal um, on you know, condemning uh, this, uh, this incident on their personal social media pages. They are talking about it in their drawing room conversation. They're talking about you know, how uh, oppressive uh, this kind of uh, harmful practices like divorce, sexism, oppressive patriarchy. Um, they're attending vigil. Um, but at the same time, this is the same community um, and we are allowing this kind of tragic incidents happening in our own community. So it's so frustrating. And in our work, we have seen that I'm sure you also have seen that many times community members are either unaware what is going on or they're careless. They don't, you know, unless it is happening in their um, in their own families, they sometimes they don't think about it, this issue. They don't uh, talk about this issue. And uh, this kind of uh, negative impact, uh, you know, uh, stigma associated on uh, that is creating a negative impact on women. People don't even pay attention. So let's talk. I mean, I, our uh, intention goal is to address those negative impacts so that it compels people to talk about, to think about this issue. So would you please talk about those negative impacts that stigma create on women uh, you saw when you were helping women? So Neha, you can start. Um, sure. Yeah, I think I sort of want us to kind of challenge the premise a little bit too, right? Like I know our organizations are set up to support survivors, but also this idea that they have to uh, not only deal with the sort of trauma, the kind of lack of community support, but then they also have to find the courage and the resilience to then like kind of leave the relationship, right? Um, and then start over. So it, it's all the burden is p- placed on them um, when it comes to kind of communities, but in some ways also in the ways that our organizations are set up. So of course we, you know, kind of want to support and that's like sort of our day to day, we're kind of supporting survivors in every way that we can. But one of the things that we've really been thinking about is community accountability, right? So how do we go from um, working with community members just to refer and and then they need to just kind of go back 
to everything you were saying about how people are reacting and understanding that this was not right in these two cases, but how do we go from having conversations about not just these cases, but sort of the day-to-day, what happens in our communities um, that leads to all of this violence, that leads to having organizations like ours that need to support survivors day-to-day. So what, what do we need to really do to make that change? And I think that's twofold. Like there has to be a way that we're addressing the people who cause the harm and that we are actually holding them accountable and the community members are really taking the responsibility to think about and work with the people they know because they know the people who are causing the harm as well. And certainly, of course, they should you know, support survivors, refer them. We're here to kind of help. But I really think the change is going to come when people, when communities can hold the people who are causing harm, one, accountable, but two, like think about how we don't, how we shouldn't raise boys the way we raise boys or whatever it is going to take for the long term in terms of long term prevention. Actually, now if we discuss, I mean, sometimes people are not even paying attention what kind of impact it's creating on women's um, physical and mental health well-being, uh, the stigma. If as advocates, we can discuss that, then probably people, it will give them some idea. Oh, okay, so it is actually impacting. So um, what do you think, uh, Kavita? Yeah, I, I want to um, take a minute to step back for a second. So so overwhelmingly, Aseki, uh, most of the survivors that we work with identify as, as cis women. Um, and when our movement was was initially founded, you know, 33 years ago, we really thought about this work um, primarily impacting women and, and only working with women. Um, but 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 I want to challenge the idea that you know domestic violence is something that is only impacting women in a cis hetero relationship. Um, and so that that's you know sort of like. I, the way that we have imagined and we we are thinking about our work very much is that a survivor does not occupy a, a gender or a sexuality. Um, and so part of the reason why that's so critically important when we talk about the work is because if we don't imagine survivorship beyond a particular gender or sexuality, then we are simply reproducing toxic masculinity which is further inflicting harm in our community. Um, so I just wanna just like sort of put that out there because you know, when Seki was founded 33 years ago, um, we were very much thinking about how do we talk about gender-based violence? How do we talk about domestic violence in the South Asian community? Um, the, 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 the shame and stigma that is attached to divorce was absolutely there at that time. It continues to persist. And increasingly what becomes more evident to me is that we need some sort of seismic shift across the diaspora to recognize that gender-based violence is across our community, that we have higher rates of gender-based violence in the South Asian diaspora than there is in the national average in the United States. Uh, Whereas one in every four women in the United States experience GBV, two in every five in our community. Um, And that this is the one social justice issue. This is the one issue that actually binds the entire community. Um, it's, 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 it's not education. It's not labor issues. It, <laughs> it really is specifically gender-based violence because I would be hard-pressed to meet someone from the diaspora who has not been impacted 
either directly or indirectly by a case of GBB in their, their community. Um, and so that's, that's, I think that's actually the, the, the step that's needed for us to be able to unravel stigma is a, a shared community vision, a shared understanding that um, the shame is not a, for a survivor to hold, the stigma is not for a survivor to hold, and that this is something that is across our community, irrespective of any particular social identity. So that's that's something that that increasingly becomes more evident to me. Mm. Actually, we are. Uh, if some, I wish community members, all of us, uh, can see the part where kids see the side where women are ripped off of opportunities when they're you know they're um, struggling with stigma they cannot focus on their own health uh, mental health physical health well-being they cannot take care of their uh, profession their growth uh, and because of this stigma because of this uh, community ostracism they are uh, kind of restricting their uh, their growth in every possible ways and i don't know uh, probably community members will uh, see that side and they will support their their daughters, sisters, um, women in their uh, families and communities so that they don't suffer uh, these kind of issues. Um, I actually, two months back, I interviewed um, a survivor on our podcast and uh, she's very well-educated um, and her family is also extremely educated and well to do but when she shared the news of her uh, marital abuse with her little family parents of another family members everyone asked uh, her to adjust um, at some point she couldn't take it anymore couldn't take the abuse anymore and she left uh, the abusive home and then she filed uh, for divorce so today actually she's very successful well respected in community um, and we see uh, that uh, so many cases women um, they jeopardize their mental and physical well-being just due to this community ostracism uh, like what people will say if i get divorced so any case you remember um, in your organ own organization where you know women uh, stayed uh, in abusive relationship because of any community ostracism stigma and probably faced um, any dire consequences that that resonates a lot Nandini, because in, in some respects, because it 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 um it really highlights like what a survivor needs through their healing journey, which is community, which is um a space in which they are going to feel seen and heard and validated for their experiences without having to relive through their trauma or justify their reason for leaving. And that's that's why I think that the org the work that we all do is is so critically important in the community. Um, and it, it you know just to to take that one step further you know like oftentimes what i what i see with survivors is that many survivors are searching for stability um they are looking for a space in which they can feel safe um and they can feel like a sense of control in their lives because especially as they're going through their own healing journey um and i, th I think i think you know the work that our respective institutions can offer that um, and allows for that. Yeah, and just going back to kind of the beginning of our conversation about kind of how important marriage is and all that it sort of, you know, all the community members and people that are involved in a marriage. So I think like in terms of a divorce, in addition to, well, the stigma I think is part of um, 
the stigma is a huge issue, but also like I think from the perspective of the survivors that we serve, they're not only leaving behind a marriage or a spouse or partner, but that they're actually like leaving behind their entire community. And a lot of times like leaving behind their entire support systems. So all of the, the systems and uh, people that may cause harm, you know, are sometimes balanced by uh, other people who are actually kind of supporting but that at the time of like seeking a divorce, they may then lose that support. So it's just a lot of um, trauma that they've experienced, but a lot of like decisions that they have to make um, that, that, you know, like you said, can then cause more stress and more distress um, and potentially, you know, like make that decision very difficult. Do you want to share any client's story without taking names that what kind of situation they had to face because of not, you know, having support from family and community? Um, yeah, I mean, I think that they, so, like, I think that's such a, like, theme through what we see, um, even when they do seek the divorce, that there was a lot of, like, you know, a, a kind of a length of time that they stayed um, and Kavita talked about this to, before as well in terms of like economics. There's just so much that's, you know, tied up in those relationships. And of course, you know, like people's emotions. Um, it, I think it's not so easy to just be like, kind of think about good and bad or right and wrong. Um, these are very complicated relationships and um, often involve many, many people, including your own family, like survivors own families. Mm. Um, and so I mean, it's just a really hard decision. But one of the things that we focus on is just kind of like the, the courage and resilience it takes to navigate abusive relationships and to survive them. Um, and then to kind of make the decision to, to leave. Um, I know there's just like, there's a lot of stories, but like, it strikes me that it's something just so common as well. It's just kind of a theme through what we see. Mm, that's true. That's something that, that may has said that really, uh, resonates is, is the familial component, right? The, 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 the merger of families and they're on a one woman mission to eradicate the term, um, from a good family. Cause I have, I have no idea what that means. Um, and, and I've asked several folks within the diaspora, well, what does that mean to you? And some of them mean, you know, it's, it's education within like access to particular schooling or, or it's access to money or wealth. Um, but what does that, what does that actually mean? Right. That, that just means privilege. Um, but this, this concept of a good family also just perpetuates and yes. is linked uh, essentially to the stigma that is attached to them divorce because you know, why would you ever leave a good family? Why? And everybody apparently marries into a good family. So then no one can ever marry into a bad family. So there could never be abuse. I mean, it's just, it's such a vicious cycle um, that even the language that we use will often leading up into a long-term relationship or a marriage or whatever it might be, you know, will be the on-ramp for setting up a survivor for not wanting to leave a relationship because they've heard so many of these things. Um. And sometimes, you know, uh, when we see, it's a, again, probably cultural training, when we see a well-educated uh, family and they have wealth, they're doing well to do, is automatically people assume they are very, they're very good families. So, you know, you have education, you have wealth, that, that doesn't mean that 
um, you are good, right? But again, we have to break that myth. Um, and that's a good point, Kavita. And, um, you know, I sometimes think that in today's world, we see immense progress has been made in communication, technology, scientific innovation, but we have not made enough progress in various areas. We still see deprivation, uh, discrimination, subordination, marginalization, and disparity in human relationship. And, you know, especially oppressive patriarchal gender roles, uh, making our community blind towards uh, survivors' pain. Um, so do you think that these recent uh, incidents um, in your states uh, has it made any impact in changing the mindset regarding divorce or victim blaming for women? Actually, one of the reasons that I was bringing up this issue of community accountability is the fact that we see people... Um, upset about kind of, you know, what happened, for example, in Sanya Khan's case, but also distancing themselves from it. So mm -hmm. it's sort of, it's that particular family or that particular person um, in, in terms of Sanya's estranged husband and not so much this reckoning that it is a community-wide issue. Um, and so I think like at Apnegar, that's, you know, what, that's really prompted us to have more conversations around what community can do, because there is very much a recognition of the sort of the tragedy, people feeling bad about it. Uh, and like you had said before, people posting um, and, you know, utilizing social media or other ways to kind of grieve or um, send their sort of send messages of support but not really doing the hard work to kind of understand that it is a community-wide issue um, and that we all, you know, in, in many ways are responsible for when stuff like this happens to Sanya and Mandeep, but that also we are the solution, right? And so we need to think about what that, not in, this, in these cases, but solutions going forward, so what does it mean to to then be part of that solution, to actively be part of that solution and not the problem? So Kavita, what do you see in your state? Any reaction that you feel like, yes, it is, you know, I'm a little bit hopeful that community probably addressing and acknowledging this kind of issues and probably we will uh, uh, collectively, we will do something. So any hope, anything you see, or is this just a status quo? It's a good question. It's hard to say at the moment what the longer term impact will be. I will say that in April of 2020, Garamal Qatari, who was a survivor in Jersey City, um, died by murder and then, and then her husband died by suicide. Um, this was on the beginning of the pandemic, received very little media attention after, um, after her death. Um, and, and she was, she was pregnant at the time. Um, and so to see, um, the significant attention that Sonia and Mandeep have rightly received is, um, something that is, I, I'm trying to remain hopeful that it is a moment for us to reflect within the diaspora about our, our role and how to work with survivors and create a space of healing for survivors and a space where survivors can come forward and feel safe. Simultaneously, I think that the impact of social media in these particular instances has played a powerful and somewhat problematic role. Um, and so, you know, 
how do we how do we capture the energy of the the community in which we are recognizing that survivors are not safe, that we are talking about people's lives um, at the end of the day, and and if we want to take it one step further, we are also talking about future generations because oftentimes many of the survivors we work with have children. And how do we capture that energy and that sentiment without having to lean on social media in a way that will mobilize community? I think that is one of the things that I've been thinking very consciously about because I want to refrain from engaging in, in, in that type of voyeurism as well. So it's undoubtedly true that South Asians are having a, a moment within the United States. You know, we are making incredible inroads, irrespective of one's gender or sexuality, you know, in, in, in media, entertainment, the arts, um, within the corporate sector, within medicine, within law. And there have been significant strides that the community has been able to make. Uh, that being said, you know, we are engaging in the model minority myth very actively without even self-reflecting on the fact that uh, we have such significant rates of gender-based violence in our community and um, are not doing the work internally as a community to come together to create safety for, for all members of the community. Hmm. The good news is at least, uh, you know, we are trying and some community members are uh, showing uh, their gesture that they want to do something uh, in changing uh, or in preventing oppressive cultural practices um, and mindsets. Only we can hope that we will it will increase in scope and size. Um, so if I'm asking you that give our community members uh, three tips that uh, what they can do to remove uh, the stigma with the uh, with the divorce. So uh, what will you say? Neha, you can start. Just three things. Just kidding. <laughs> 300. <laughs> you can, I know you can share 300 things, but... Uh, I mean, I think the first thing, which I think is probably where our organizations have made the most progress is in terms of, um, you know, referring survivors. So kind of understanding the dynamics better, uh, making sure that they're supportive of survivors and then also uh, connecting survivors to organizations like ours. Mm -hmm. um, I do think like that's probably the area that, you know, Saki's been around for 33 years, Afnigar has been around for 32, um, but I would say that's probably the area where we've made most progress. So I remember from uh, being told by our founders uh, about how difficult it was when we started. And Kavita referenced the model minority myth, but, and you talked in your introduction about what, what will people say, um, that extended to beyond sort of individual families and divorces. Um, as an organization, we were told not to air, essentially not to air the, the, the community's dirty laundry, right? Like, so mm. we were told to not even exist that we were that we were the ones wrecking people's homes. So we certainly come a long way from that type of thinking. Um, and community members are actively uh, referring. Certainly, they're you know engaged with our organizations in terms of being donors, you know, representing. Um, different organizations, corporations, all of these areas in which we've made strides on our boards, you know, that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I think what's missing is some of the hard work that I've been talking about. It's about how do we uh, 
um, think about our family units differently? How do we perceive each other differently? Um, and with more, you know, humanity and compassion and a sense of equity and justice. Um, and so how do we kind of build that into our everyday lives? And that for me is a huge ask for community members to self-reflect, to think about where we are perpetuating all of these harmful uh, notions and norms as community members, as family members, as parents, as siblings, um, partners, certainly. So I think that's, for me, the second piece is to really think about kind of where we are individually, and that where that puts us, you know, collectively. And I think the third thing is to celebrate the wins around kind of, you know, all of the strides economically, especially, but really think about social issues and also really not, and don't assume that economic strides or strides in education and all of those things are going to address the social issues. Um, to really kind of understand that that's as important in my view, of course, because I do this work more important um, and to really kind of um, come together as a community around those issues. What about you, Kavita? Um, I would say three things that an individual can do to to support the movement is one, first, believe survivors. If a survivor opens up to you, discloses to you, shares their experience, that takes a level of courage and vulnerability and bravery and do not project your own life experiences onto them. Um, it is about believing them and asking a survivor what they would like. Is there a way that they can, that you can support, that you can step in? Do they need an immediate safety plan? Do they need access to resources? Um, and so it, it doesn't go beyond that. Um, the challenge that we often face in our community is that it is it goes beyond the believing of the survivor. It is exactly what sort of Neha and you and you were talking about, which is you know making excuses for harm. Um, let's stop that because we have the power to control what comes out of our mouth. So that's the first thing. And then the second is. I'll go back to it to eradicate this term or this phrase from a good family. I think it is um, incredibly problematic. And I think it really is, is something that's debilitating for an individual who wants to leave a space that um, is inflicting harm or is perpetuating harm in their life. And then the third is, is to think about, you know, the local work that's happening um, in, in your respective community. Uh, obviously, like we we represent, you know, California and Illinois, and New York, uh, and through our respective organizations. But uh, there are something like 30 versions of our organizations spread across the country, and is an opportunity for an individual who wants to give back to really what is the most important issue facing the South Asian American community in the United States. This is it. We're talking about cultural issues. This really is it. Um, to give back in a meaningful way. This is in our in our hand. If we want to learn something, if we want to change our mindset, if uh, we can, we can recognize and um, you know we can talk about those harmful uh, cultural norms that are affecting our community, our next generation, our family members. And if we, and what will people say? That is a big thing. I mean, I don't know why they don't even know those people. And why do they care about what people will say? And they're sacrificing their uh, children's life, their children's mental or uh, physical health well-being. Um, and uh, 
I think it's a high time we all of us we should recognize our own biases and we we try our best to uh, remove uh, that biases so that we can uh, build a safe and happy society for all of us. Um, so thank you, Kavita and Neha, for this energizing discussion. We have to pause here for the time. Uh, but we are not ending the discussion. And I'm really, really hoping that all our listeners uh, will continue this discussion with their friends and family uh, so that they can analyze why this is a stigma attached to divorce. Why uh, people have to suffer in silence in a toxic relationship and cannot ask for divorce. So if we are uh, breaking down these questions, if we are trying to understand and uh, answer uh, these questions, probably one day we will be able to find a solution. So I am very positive with the multiple community dialogues, um, collective actions. Uh, one day we will be able to end the stigma associated with the boards um, and many other things. So listeners, please remember you can play a key role in educating and mobilizing your community to eliminate oppressive patriarchal discourses, practices and mindset. Uh, so that together we can build a beautiful, um, safe uh, society for all of us. Uh, bye for now. I'm your host Nandini Ray signing off today. I will be back uh, with another discussion soon. Please keep listening uh, to the Maitri podcast between friends, conversations with Maitri. Find all our episodes on SoundCloud and other podcast apps where you find your um, podcast. Please like and share and comment. We need your support to spread the word out. Thank you. अगर आप या कोई और जिसे आप जानते हैं जो घरेलू और डोमेस्टिक वायलेंस से गुजर रहे हैं कृपया मैत्री से संपर्क करें मैत्री की सेवाएं बिल्कुल मुफ्त और विश्वासनीय हैं हमारी सेवाएं हिंदी पंजाबी मराठी गुजराती और अन्य दक्षिण एशियाई भाषाओं में उपलब्ध हैं यू कैन कॉल अस मंडे टू फ्राइडे 9 टू 3 पीएम this project was made possible by funding provided by Santa Clara County Office of Gender-Based Violence Prevention. This show is for informational purposes only and is not to be construed as legal advice. Always consult an attorney for legal advice. Views expressed by guests of the radio show are individual opinions and not endorsed by Maitri.